symbolisms of the hands and the feet. When the priest would enter into the holy place, their hands were washed clean for service unto the Lord. And their feet were clean. They were washed clean. All this symbolizes to us, y'all, is that our hands are for service of the Lord. And our feet are to carry us along the pathway that he illuminates for us. A pathway that he designed so that we could be in closer relationship with him. So we could live more in his likeness and less of ourselves. So today when you entered into those gates, you entered into the truth. The first gates were the way. But now you have entered into the truth. You are forgiven of your sins. You are washed clean. You are able to come into the holy place. Now, when you came into this holy place, get out your diagrams if you still have them, the ones that we got the first day about the layout of the furniture in the holy place and everything. I love this picture right here, though. I just look at it all the time. You can see here the tabernacle. You can see the building right here. This is the holy place in the holy of holies. If you look at your diagram right here, you'll see that the holy place in the holy of holies, the tabernacle proper as it's called, starts right in the middle of the courtyard. Starts in the middle. This first squared off room that you see, this is the holy place. This is where you are today. You are in the holy place. This room behind, this is the holy of holies. This is where you are headed. You have begun your journey from the brazen altar to the laver, and you have come and stepped into the holy place. But your goal on the last day of this series, you will be in the presence of the Lord God Almighty in his place, the holy of holies. Don't miss the last day. It's what you've been working towards and for in the study and in your life. So don't miss the holy of holies in the holy place. Okay, so we are in the holy place. You've seen where we are. You know where you are. This is the place where the priest came. This is the place where the Levites came. The Levites were chosen to care for the holy place and the holy of holies. They would come into the holy place and they would see the lampstand. The lampstand was the only source of light in the holy place. There were no windows. This was the light of the holy place. You are the light in an unholy world. Jesus was the light for us. He was our lampstand. But let me give you a little history about this lampstand. This lampstand right here is made of pure 
gold. Now you have heard in the past that the center shaft here represents God and all the branches represent us. Well, let me explain something to you. This has nothing to do with humanity. Nothing at all. What this has to do with is this center shaft right here. This represents God. All this right here represents who God is. If you're the light, if you're the lampstand, this is you. If he is in us and we are in him, then here you stand, right here. When you entered into the room, you passed through the gate. You're in a holy place. You've seen the lampstand that illuminates a dark place. It illuminates to shine light on what you will learn about next week, the table of showbread and the altar of incense. This lampstand shines light on those things that are important. It shines light on the things that we are. It makes you want to think about how you are, who you are, how you walk, where you walk. That's you. Let's go to um, Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 8. So this Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 8, 1 through 4. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you set up the seven lamps, they are to light the area in front of the lampstand. And Aaron did so. He set up the lamps so that they faced forward on the lampstand, just as the Lord commanded Moses. This is how the lampstand was made. It was made of hammered gold from its base to its blossoms. The lampstand was made exactly like the pattern the Lord had shown Moses. Now go to Exodus 25. Starting with verse 31. Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammered and hammer it out, base and shaft. Its flower-like cups and buds and blossoms shall be of one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other side. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. 
They make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmed and, tra and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now go to Exodus 37. Starting with verse 17. You're going to hear the same thing again. They made the lamp stand of, stand of pure gold and hammered it out, base and shafts. Its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms were one piece with it. Six branches extended from the sides of the lamp stand, three on one side, three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms were on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lamp stand. And on the lamp stand were four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud was under the pair of branches extending from the lampstand, a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and the branches were all of one piece with the lampstand hammered out a pure gold. Now, I read this over and over again, and I kept thinking, what is with the buds and the blossoms and the flowers? What does that mean? Because he repeats it over and over Again, and remember, this is the pattern that the Lord gave Moses on the mountain. And the pure gold, how many times did you hear pure gold? I heard pure gold and I heard buds and blossoms and flowers all over the place. So I began to dig. Well, let me tell you about this pure gold. This pure gold right here, and I did a little research to find out about purifying gold. What's the difference in pure gold and just gold? Well, let me tell you what I learned. Some of you may know this. When gold is being perfected, it is taken in its raw material and it is put under very high temperatures. The fire is so hot, it begins to melt the gold. As the gold begins to melt, you bring it out of the fire and you scrape off all the impurities that are in the gold. Kind of like, you know, they talk about diamonds and they have imperfections. Gold has imperfections. So they would wipe the gold, the, the particles, the unclean particles that had come from the gold, they would wipe them away and then they'd stick it back in the fire to get it soft. And more impurities would come forth and they would, again, pull it out of the fire and they would scrape those impurities off. And they repeated this process until the gold was pure. And then they would begin to hammer it and to beat it into shape. You can see on this lampstand right here that Mitchell Hayden made me years ago. It's, it's got knocks in it. It's been beaten. And so they would take this lampstand of this pure gold and they would uh, shape it. But remember, it was one piece of gold. They would work with those intricate details of those buds and those blossoms and those flowers. And they would work with it until it was exactly the way it was supposed to be. But you know, an interesting thing I found out in all my reading, I saw no details as for the measurements. Yeah, we had heard that they all come up, the branches come up, and they're all level. But it doesn't say how far the branches are to be or any of that. It just says the branches. Well, let me tell you what I realized. The reason 
that God did not give Moses for the dimensions of the menorah or the branches is because you and I are not the same. No branch, no lampstand is the same. Your impurities and my impurities, they're not the same. But once they have been hammered out, then you're pure. So that's our sign from the Lord. You're all different. But we all come from the one source, that shaft. Another thing that I learned, too, was about the oil. Now, today we use candles, and you know, with the little wicks. And when the candle burns, they absorb. As it burns, it absorbs the candle, and therefore then the candle's gone. But in the days of the tabernacle, the Hebrew tabernacle of Moses, and even in Jerusalem at that time, they didn't have candles. They used oil because oil is different from a candle. It will stay, and as long as you keep pouring oil into the lampstand, it will burn continuously. And that was one of the requirements that the Lord had, that this lampstand burn continuously. The light must never go out. Your light must never go out. Dealing with a little allergy, sorry, y'all. Now, when the priest would come in to serve the Lord with all the things of the holy place, they would also lay prostrate on the ground in worship and in prayer. When you come into the holy place, into his presence, you too are to praise and worship him. Now, what does all this have to do with us? Let's go to John. Now, take that back. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 11. I'll go to Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Let's go to Isaiah, the 11th chapter. I want to bring you a little sheet out that has the menorah on it, the menorah, the lampstand, the candlestick, any of those words. Go into Isaiah, the 11th chapter, starting with verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This right here. This right here is what you and I are all about. This right here 
is the whole purpose of why we are here. And I'm going to explain to you and show you how this is the Lord and how you are this. The main shaft right here is the spirit of the Lord, just like it's saying in Isaiah. This is the spirit of the Lord. If the spirit of the Lord lives in you, this is you right here, this whole shaft. Now, each of these branches, they all have very significant meaning. These are the attributes of God or the sevenfold God. Remember, this is all him. These represent wisdom. On your sheet, I have it down here for you in the scripture that goes with it. One branch represents understanding. One branch represents counsel. Over here on the other side of the Spirit of the Lord, you also have um, power and might. If you read King James, they're going to call it might. I love the King James. So he has might. One represents might and power. The other one represents knowledge. And another one represents fear. But now we're going to look at this in true Hebrew fashion. We're going to look at it from the right to the left. So we have wisdom. We have understanding. We have counsel. We have the spirit of the Lord. We have power and might. We have knowledge. And we have fear. These are all attributes of God. We all should walk with the same attributes of God. But let me tell you something about a couple of these I really want to talk to you about and just give you a little more information. I want to talk to you about fear. For an unbeliever, when they hear and they read in the Bible the word fear... And I thought this too as a young believer and even as a, as a young girl when I'd hear about fear of the Lord, I thought, yeah, we've got to be afraid of him because he's going to judge us and he's going to say whether or not we're going to go to heaven or hell and I didn't want to go to hell because it was hot and I would burn and it'd be painful. So in my mind's eye as a young believer, fear represented, you better get it right, you know. Two things in life I learned as a young child to fear, my mother and the Lord, and sometimes in that order. So, But I want to tell you as a believer what fear really is. Let's go to Hebrews, the chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. And this is for the believer. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a God is of consuming fire. So fear to us is all and reverence. You are to be in awe of who he is 
and what he has done for you and for me. So when we go through this whole tree of life, if you want to call it, it's often called that, when you go through this tree of life and you accept it for yourself, Remember on the brazen altar, you gave everything up and you exchanged your will for his will? Then this is what you took on. You, say, you are saying, I am going to be a person of wisdom. I'm going to search the scriptures and I'm going to be a person of wisdom. And you search the scriptures and you say, I want to be a person of understanding. I want to understand what you're going through. I want to understand your, your pains and your hurts. I want to understand so I can help you, so I can pray for you, so I can intercede to you, for you, to the Lord. I want to be a person that has good counsel. I want to know where to go in the scripture that's going to, Teach me and show me that I can be of good counsel to your children, to your husband if need be, to your friends, for yourself. Be of sound counsel. Not what you think or what you feel. Those feelings, they'll get you in trouble every time. They will. But you be a person of solid counsel. Search the scriptures. What does it say? And the next thing, you do want the Spirit of the Lord in you because without the Spirit of the Lord in you, all this other's not going to work. Not at all. You're working on your own power if you don't have the Spirit of the Lord in you. And when you work on your own power, you know what happens? You burn out. You burn out. Because there's no way you can have here what he has here. Your power and your might, yeah. If you're going to be a believer and if you're going to be a lampstand and a light to the world, if you're going to be a sanctuary, that's what the temple was. We are the temple. We are the sanctuary. If you're going to be all that, His will, you better have some strength and power and might. And the only way you're going to get that is right here. We can do nothing on our own. You've got to go here. And the next thing is the knowledge. Who? The scripture that has here, Proverbs 3, 5, says, Lean not on your own understanding. You know, we live in a world where we tell our children they're smart. We tell them they're beautiful. We encourage them. We lift them up all the time because that's what we do. That's what we're here for. But let me tell you, the knowledge that you impart has to be solid. It has to be factual. It has to be truth. This is where we are. We've come to the gate of truth. So your knowledge has to be of truth, not what your mama said, your grandmama said, or what you heard, or whatever. Right here, not your opinion, right here. You've got to have the right knowledge. Because let me tell you what happens. If you give somebody the wrong knowledge, you have no idea what you may be doing to that person. Because if the knowledge you give is wrong, how do they know the rest of the knowledge is not, is not right? So you've got to have the knowledge down pat. And let me tell you, the time that you spend in the Word, it's not wasted time. 
the Lord will not let you be into his word and not honor you for it. It's just the way it is. And the things that you say to your children, they're going to come right out of their mouths. Maybe when you don't want it to. Maybe in front of people you don't want them to do it, but it will. But if you put the right knowledge into that child, then the right knowledge is going to come out. My little boy Henry, the baby, he's been involved with the youth ministry and, and all that. and He... Um, he relates well to the, to the kids. He's still a child himself. But I overheard him one day. There was a group of kids over there, and he was talking to them, and they were being loud, and I was chomping on a piece of pizza over at the food bar. And, and I heard Henry say, Don't say hate. Say don't like. And I was went, Thank you, Jesus, because I don't like that word hate. That's a bad word. That's a strong word. That's an evil word. And I never wanted my children to say that. And if they say, I hate that, don't say hate. Say don't like. So when he heard those other children saying, I hate, he was so quick to repeat what he had heard come out of my mouth. So get good knowledge, y'all. Get the right words. Tell them the truth. You're in it. You've got to tell them the truth. Always. When your phone rings, you really don't want to talk, just tell them I'm not here. You can't do that. That's not truth. <laughs> got to be truthful with them, but you got to have the knowledge to know what the truth is. And then that fear, as we talked about. Fear is not of the Lord. That negative, accusatory, judgment fear, no. He doesn't work like that. And I'll tell you something else It's not of the Lord is guilt. It is not of the Lord. When you came through and you went to that brazen altar and you threw everything on that altar to be burned up, when you just threw your guts up on it and got rid of everything, it was forgiven. It was forgotten. So don't you keep going back and bringing it up again because it stunts you. If you keep going back to where you were, you're never going to go forward. So don't go where you were. Leave the stuff on the brazen altar. Stay pure. Come into this place of truth. Get your knowledge and stay pure. Because the more you are like him, the more you're going to walk like him. And the more you walk like him and other people see it, the light of the world in a dark place, is going to come forth. And I'm going to talk to you about your tongue a little bit. You know, we are so quick with our tongues. We women, we can multitask. We can chew you out. We can throw those words at you, and we can do all this on our faces, and our tongue can just go rampant. And when we're angry, it will say things that you wouldn't normally say. It will cut, and it will hurt people to the core, even in jest. Don't you have friends that say things kind of tongue-in-cheek? It's hurtful. So be aware of what comes off your tongue. Don't let it be a tool of the devil. Let it be a tool of the Lord. Encourage each other. And don't bash your husbands. They're your head. The Lord puts you together. He is your head. He is your umbrella over you. Do not bash him to your friends. I know they get on your nerves. I know they only think with the left side of their brain, except Mr. Woody. He thinks with both sides. (laughs) 
But let me tell you something. You're not so put together either. He could say things about you. Nag, 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 nag. He could do that. But you don't want to bash your husband. You want to lift him up. That's the father of your children. That's the one the Lord cut out and molded just for you. And you're going to bash what the Lord gave to you? No. You don't want to do that. It was a gift. Even though they do things that aggravate us and they leave doors and drawers and things open, I come in my house in the kitchen, I can tell you exactly what my husband's been doing. He got his cardboard crackers with his pimento cheese on it. He walked over here to the cabinet, pulled out the checkbook. Then he went over here and opened the door and he got a glass and he reached down up under the sink and got his drink and he popped it and it's all right there. And I'll say, honey, did you find what you were looking for in the checkbook cabinet? Sure did. Did you have enough to eat? Did, were you, did you have enough of your cardboard crackers? Sure did. Good. Don't let that get on your nerves, y'all. Life is too short. Just go close them. That's what I do. I just go close them and let it go. Save your battles for the big things. Your checkbook. You know when we had the brazen altar and we had these animals up here? Do y'all remember the ram that was just front and center? Those horns? I love that ram. I love that ram so much. I have been after that ram for 15 years. I have pictures of rams in my house. I have the little lamb, you know, that looked like that sheep as a baby. I just have them everywhere. I love that ram because that ram is a reminder to me of Abraham and Isaac. Remember when the Lord told Abraham to take Isaac and go out into the, the desert and you'll find a mountain and you'll go up on that, you make an altar and you sacrifice him for me? Remember when he did that? Every time I see that ram, I'm reminded of the sacrifice that was made for me. And I'm here to tell you, the Lord came to me, and I bet you're the same way. If he came to me and he said, look, I need one of your children to sacrifice so everybody in the world can live couldn't do it I'd have to say Lord I love you but you can't have my children so let's just all go together <laughs> not going to be separated from my children so now I lost my place <laughs> so anyway be mindful of how your tongue works if you can't say, that's what we used to say in the youth department with those youth girls. If you can't say something kind, true, unnecessary, then zip it. It's not worth saying. The Lord can't use anything that you say if it's not kind, true, or necessary. All you're doing is taking up airspace and you're hurting somebody else along the way. So watch your tongue. Be holy unto the Lord. Be a bright lampstand for the Lord. Now I want you to, now that we've learned about the Old Testament and about how this was viewed and what it was and all that, now I'm going to show you what it looks like for you and me today. While this big, beautiful, perfect piece of gold, this tree of life, this sanctuary, this lampstand, candlestick, whatever you want to call it, 
what does it mean for us today? Go to your Bibles to the book of John, the 15th chapter. the true vine my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you the vine the shaft the branches that's us now go on and look to, let's go down to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man remains in me, if a man lives in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Let me tell you about Aaron a little bit. Do you know how Aaron became the high priest? Did you ever wonder why him? Of the, all the 12 tribes of Israel that were encamped around the tabernacle, what made him? Why him? Every tribe wanted their priest to be the head priest. Okay? And so they were grumbling and they were fussing. You know, well, well, ours is better. So the Lord said, okay, we're going to cut this out. I will choose who the priest is going to be. So he had, Moses had all the, the tribe leaders, all the priests of each tribe to come forth and to bring a stick, bring a rod, bring a branch, just a nothing piece of wood. Bring it, lay it before the tent. And in the morning, whomever's bud Whomever stick buds, that's who I choose to be the head priest, the high priest. So they get up the next morning. Everybody runs over to the tent and checks out their stick with their name on it. Nothing except for one. It was Aaron's rod. And not only did it bud, the blossoms bloomed and there were flowers. It had a little bit of everything. I thought that was strange too. Why, why a bud and a bloom and a blossom? Why not just flowers everywhere? I'll tell you why. Because you as a branch, me as a branch, we're not finished. Some of us are still buds in our walk with the Lord. Some of us have bloomed and some of us have just blossomed. Miss Edna Gatewood, y'all don't know Miss Edna Gatewood. That is one big, huge blossom. We have many blossoms in our church. Miss Ann's one, Miss Sarah, Barbara, all, all of these wonderful ladies. They, they have flowers all over them. That's what you and I want. We want our branches to go from buds to blooms to blossoms. Because when your branch goes from a bud to a bloom to a blossom, your light is bright. You are illuminated for the world to see. 
no matter what you do, for the world to see. Go down to now, let's look at verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now what he will do is he will separate himself from you. If you're not with him, if you choose not to let anything grow in your life, anything good of him to grow in your life, how can he use you? As the word says, you would just be thrown away. The only way to have a truly good life is to stay close to that branch. How are you going to stay close to the branch? You're going to stay in his word. It's going to teach you. Verse 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now remember when you came to the altar, you threw everything on it, you exchanged your will for his will. This right here where it says, anything you ask, I will give you. Do you realize this is not me? Oh, I want a new car. I want a new house. I'm living right. I'm going to get this. When you exchanged your will for his will on that altar, you became different. Your mindset is different. You're not going to ask for those things that you once asked for because you have his will. His will asks for things that help grow his kingdom. His will is going to lead other people to Christ. What you pray is, in totally, is totally different than what you once prayed for. So that's why the words can say whatever you ask for. Whatever is your wish, whatever is your will, ask in my name and it will be given. Because you're not going to ask anything that's not in his will. Because you're a new creation. You don't care about this stuff anymore. And let me tell you something. These branches that some of us have that don't produce fruit, they're a waste. The things that you do in life should bear fruit. Anything in your life that does not bear fruit, you need to get rid of it. I used to play tennis. I loved to play tennis. It was great. I could step on that court, and while I was on that court, I didn't know anything else that was going on in the world. I didn't know what was going home at my home with my sweet little mother-in-law that lived with us for three and a half years before she passed. If she went to the bathroom in my blue linen chair, I didn't know it. I didn't have to think about it. If my kids were doing things that were getting on my nerves or my husband, whatever, it didn't matter because when I was on that tennis court, it was just a ball in me. That was it. And I could do it for hours. I could do it all day long. It was my thing to do. It was so fun. It was such an escape. It was such an enjoyment. I would do it early in the morning. I'd drop my children off at school. I'd head to the tennis courts. I would play so hard. I would work, 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 work. I'd break for a little bit of lunch, and I'd get back out there, and I'd just work, 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 work some more. I loved that game. My little friend, Marsha, she was on my tennis team for 100 years. We played tennis together. We had a great time. 
But that was my life. Middle of July, hottest day of the year, 12 o'clock noon, tennis courts. Didn't care. Just hit the ball. Hit the ball. Hit the ball. Loved it. I loved it so much. Like I said, it was my whole world. I loved Now, I came to church on Sunday. I teach a little Sunday school class to those little children. I would do things like that. I was nice to my friends. I tithed. I did all that stuff. But my time was on the tennis court. That's where my joy was. That's where my fun was. But all that time I spent on the tennis court, y'all, Lord had enough of it. You've gotten compulsive. It's your everything. It's this is going to stop. I get out of my car one night. Somebody had left the garage lights off. I couldn't see. I jump out of my car and I go barreling like I'm going into the house. And Henry had left his bicycle right in my pathway. So I trip over it. And I land sprawled out on the concrete. And I felt pain. Huge pain. I'm like, uh-oh. I wonder what that was. So I moped around. I got up. I cried. Nobody was at home. I was hurt so bad and all that. Well, I eventually let my husband check it out. He said, yeah, honey, you've torn your rotator cuff. I'm like, uh-oh. I said, well. He said, but don't worry about it. I can fix it. You'll be good as new. Well, you see, I was a nurse, and I knew what after rotator cuff surgery meant. It's funny, you and I were talking about this earlier. After you have the surgery and you have a great doctor and he fixes it all up and it's just good as new and everything, well, you got to go to therapy and you got to work it. You got to be able to do all this stuff. That is hard. That's where real pain comes in. And I do not like pain of any kind. I cannot take anything stronger than an Advil because I'm allergic. And I'm sure the Lord knew exactly what he was doing because my threshold for pain is so low that I would just take lots of pills if I could and get rid of it. But my solution to the no pain and the no therapy afterwards to make it work, just don't have the surgery. Just give up tennis. And that was what I did. It was easier for me to give it up than to go through all that pain of recovery, doing all that. I just couldn't do it. So I had to give it up. So what did the Lord do? He didn't prune that branch so that I could cut my tennis time down and do it in a normal way. So what did he do? He's cut the branch off. That was the end of tennis. It's a great sport. I love it more than anything. I, my children all play, and I encourage anybody that likes the game to play it because it's so fun. But don't do it the way I did it. The Lord will cut you off from it so quick it'll make your head swim. So what did he do with my time that I used to do on the court? Remember we come into the holy place to serve and to worship? That's what I did with my time. I came up here to the kitchen and I butted in on those ladies that worked in the kitchen. I said, I want to work in the kitchen. Looked like fun. There was food everywhere and all the time. I loved food. So I worked in the kitchen, and there was more joy in that kitchen. It was so fun. We made more mistakes. I messed up more food, and Miss Ann Whiteman will tell you, but she's not going to because she loves me. 
I made more mess ups than the law could allow, but I had joy and fun the entire time. And to this day, I still love working in that kitchen. It's hard work, but y'all, the joy that comes from serving is unbelievable. Now, the kitchen may not be your place. You may like to go visit shut-ins. If you do, let me know. I got a list, and I'd love to see you. You could do that, but you're going to have to serve him because whatever it is that you're serving above him, man, he's going to cut that thing off so quick it'll make your head spin. If you're using your finances for you and for your stuff and for your this and your for that, and you're not giving him his share, you'll cut it off. He's going to get what is due him one way or the other, whether it's your time, whether it's your finances, well, what, what it is, he's going to get his share because remember, he's a jealous God. You don't put anything before him. Not a tennis ball, not stuff. He has to come first. So if there are things in your life, if you've got some branches that's just wasted space, that's not producing fruit, you either need to prune it or you need to get rid of it. Because your life is all about producing fruit. Go to Matthew, the 12th chapter. Verse 33. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Your children, that's your fruit. The way you live, the things you do, that's your fruit. Is it good or is it bad? Go to Galatians. We're almost through, y'all. Y'all so good flipping it back and forth. Go to Galatians. Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians. This is not new to y'all, I know. Galatians 5. This is your fruit, y'all. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, right here in the middle, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. And the last one, it's the hardest one, self-control. Control your tongue. Control the look on your face. Control where you go. Why are you laughing at me? Control where you go. What you say, what you think. You can control what you think. When those negative thoughts come into your mind, in the name of Jesus, devil be gone. Things that cause you to worry, which is not of the Lord, don't go there. Boo devil be gone, as one of my friends said. It'll work. So, the attributes of the Lord, the attributes of you that you get from the Spirit of the Lord, that is the truth. That is your challenge. That is your job. You said so at the brazen altar when you gave up your will for his will. You stepped into the truth. 
He has shown you the truth. He's given it to you for you to choose what you'll do with it. You came into this place of truth to learn how to serve and to learn how to worship. And that is what that is all about. Go to Genesis. This is the last one, I promise. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. You are the light. You are the lampstand. Your lamps, your light should never go out. You should burn bright because you and I are the light of the world. We are a sanctuary unto the Lord. Psalms 119.105 says, May your word be a lamp. King James says, That your word may be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But let me tell you what the NIV says. The NIV says that your word may be a light to my feet and a path for my feet. Those prepositions two and four, you are to be the lamp that says that you, his word is a lamp to your feet so you can see where you're going and a light for your path, for where you're going to go. This, this word, that's your light. This is you, the sanctuary. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having passion for his word. Thank you for your desire to be more in his likeness and be a brighter light for him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you have called us to be a sanctuary for you. I thank you, Lord, that you are teaching us, that you're showing us the way, Lord. And I pray that when we leave this place, that your light, your lampstand, your candlestick, your sanctuary, Lord Jesus, will burn so bright that people will see you and us and the difference. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for your son that you sacrificed for us. And thank you, Lord, that you never leave us, nor do you forsake us. And it's in the mighty name of your son, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest lamb of all, I pray. Amen.